By the end of the first eight days after Jesus' resurrection, all of the apostles, along with some others, knew that Jesus was alive. Scripture tells us that on two occasions, when they had locked themselves in the upper room, Jesus appeared in their midst. But Scripture also tells us about a third time that Jesus manifested Himself to the disciples. Get your Bibles and let's talk about it. The record of Jesus' third appearance to the apostles is found in John chapter 21, and it is one of my favorite passages. So would you turn with me to John, the Gospel of John chapter 21. We don't know exactly when Jesus manifested himself to the apostles a third time. We just know that it was sometime between the eighth day appearance in the upper room and the ascension of Jesus 40 days later. Don't know exactly when in that time frame that it was. But in Matthew 28, we're told that Jesus had sent word to the apostles by the women at the tomb to meet him at a designated mountain in Galilee and that they would see him there. Well, as we begin John chapter 21, look at verse 1. And we see, after these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Well, we see that he manifested himself at what this translation is calling the Sea of Tiberias. This is a lake. It's about 12 miles long, seven miles wide in the northern part of Israel called Galilee. It is pretty much surrounded by mountains, and we know it as the Sea of Galilee. But the Romans renamed it to honor Tiberius Caesar, so they gave it the name of Sea of Tiberias. So when you see those different names, there are even some Old Testament names for the Sea of Galilee. You're talking about the same lake called a sea because it's very large. Look at verse 2. It tells us who is there. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Cana in Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and two others of his disciples. Scholars tell us most likely those two others were Philip and Andrew. So there's seven of them. Now notice this as we pick it apart because where are the other four? Because Matthew 28, 16 says that 11 went there. So if 11 went to that place, then where are the other four? We can speculate about that as we move along. But it is interesting that Andrew, Simon Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, James, and John were the first ones that Jesus called to be his disciples. So they're gathered here again, same place, Sea of Galilee, for another encounter this time with the resurrected Lord. Simon and Andrew, James and John were fishing partners. And so Jesus had called them from the Sea of Galilee where they were fishing to be fishers of men. I love reading about the calling of the disciples. And so Jesus said, put away your nets. 
stop your fishing and come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they did. They stopped their fishing and they followed Jesus. Now, we assume here that because Jesus had told them to go to a mountain and that that's where he would meet them, we want to assume here that maybe they were on a mountain for a while. But sometime, look in verse 3, Peter, Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we'll just go with you. We'll just go with you. So maybe that's where the four and the seven split up. Maybe we've got these seven who are sitting on the mountain. They're tired of waiting for Jesus to come. So they're just going to quit. Go fishing. We'll talk about that. But then the four, maybe they didn't like to fish. Maybe they weren't fishermen and they just stayed there. So that's why perhaps verse two just names seven. So the four are there somewhere. Now, the scholars tell us that the form of the original language, Peter's not just saying, I think I'm going to go fishing for a while while we wait. Scholars tell us that what this says is, I'm going back to my old career. In other words, I quit. I'm tired of the waiting. I'm tired of the, the pressure. Uh, you know, he just says, I'm going back to fishing. That's what I know how to do. That's what I was. I'm just going to go back to fishing. Now, Peter was the leader of the group. Uh, let's just think about him for a minute. He's been on a roller coaster ride for uh, weeks, months, maybe the whole time that Jesus was ministering on earth during those three years. But understand that he's been from the depths of despair to the heights of exhilaration how emotionally and mentally and spiritually and physically wearing is it to have been there, to have witnessed, to have, to have been there as a part of Jesus' arrest and trial and all of those horrible things that were going on and then for him to be dead and then for him to be alive. Oh my goodness. So they, a lot's been going on with all of these people, but Peter is, we know his personality. We know that he is headstrong. We know that he was impulsive and that he didn't always think things through. And we know that he didn't have a lot of patience. So we know of many of Peter's failures. Scripture was not silent about telling us about Peter's failures. So we know about those. And so we know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter, with all of the other disciples, forsook him and fled. They ran and Peter was with them. We know that he repeatedly denied knowing Jesus three times. He often said things that were foolish and tactless. And so the Lord had rebuked him many, many times. And even in one time calling him Satan, get thee behind me, Satan. So he's had some serious encounters with the Lord through all of these three years since his calling. And so perhaps when he gets to this place, he's feeling inadequate. Did you ever feel that way? He's feeling inadequate. Maybe he felt weary and guilty and overwhelmed. He had failed so many times, perhaps that he was doubtful that he could perform any kind of ministry for the Lord Jesus. And so he's full of self-doubt. So he just says, I'm going back to fishing. I'm going back to fishing. Look at uh, verse three. 
Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will also come with you. Now listen, when a leader chooses disobedience, often his followers choose it with him. So here's Peter's influence over these guys whom he's been leading. And he says, I quit. And so they say, we're going with you. We're going with you. But notice something here. The disciples had been told to go to a, a mountain in Galilee that Jesus had designated. The Gospel of Matthew uses that word. And so Jesus had specifically told them what mountain to go to and that he would meet them there. Now here, they're not on a mountain. They're at the lake in a boat. So first off, here's another occurrence of disobedience. They didn't just do what the Lord told them to do. So we see this disobedience. And so Peter's basically said, you know what? I don't know about this fishing for men thing. We've been through all of this stuff for these weeks, days. I don't think I can do this anymore, but I can catch fish. That's what I used to do. And so that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going back to what I know to do, what I know how to do. And I'm going to start doing that again. Well, look at the second part of verse three. They went out and got into the boat and that night they caught nothing. Nothing. How discouraging is that? Did you ever think, I can't do anything? Every time, everything I touch, I mess up. I can't, I just can't get it done. And, and we become discouraged and frustrated. And so there's a principle here and there's a word of caution that I want to share with you just for a moment. If you turn away from the calling that God has placed on your life and you go in another direction, if you choose the path of self-will and self-effort, you may think you can accomplish a lot, but more than likely you're headed for failure. That's what happened to Peter. That's what happened to these guys that followed Peter. Just write it down. Disobedience leads to failure. It may appear to be success to some, but in reality, it's failure. Look at verse four. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Now we'll talk about this later, but understand that they have not yet gotten to the place where they recognize the resurrected body of the Lord. They're not to the place yet where they recognize him when they see him. Um, they just didn't know that it was Jesus. But verse five, and Jesus therefore said to them, children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they said, no. Now this is kind of interesting. They had to admit their failure. They still don't know that it's Jesus, but they've got to be confronted. They've got to be confronted with the reality that they quit to go back to fishing because they thought they could do that. And what have they found out? Can't do that either. Can't do that either. But look at verse six. And he, Jesus said to them, cast the net on the right hand side of the boat and you will find a catch. 
I don't know what was in their minds. I want to think and I think, well, why not? They cast therefore, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. There was immediate, superabundant success. Verse 7. The disciple, therefore, whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said to Peter, It's the Lord. How did they know that it was Jesus? Watch this. And so when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. Let's just think in our terms. He, took, he had a shirt off. So he puts his shirt on for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. How did they know that it was Jesus? Because the same thing had happened years earlier. It had happened before. and It was like, boing. And so they get it. When you obey the Lord, the Lord empowers success. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he threw himself into the sea. Doesn't that sound just like Peter? Impulsive, very little thought, saying whatever came into his head. He just jumped in the water. But get this about Peter. This moves my heart. Peter was eager to get to the Lord. Even in his state of wanting to quit, even in his state of having chosen to walk away from God's calling on his life, when he saw the Lord, when he knew it was the Lord, he could not wait to get to him. He knew his own weakness. He knew his own frailty, but he could not get to Jesus fast enough. That tells us a lot about Peter. It tells us a lot about those decisions that we make in our lives when we want to quit and walk away. That there comes that moment in time when we know there's no other place to go and we can't wait to get to him. Verse 8, But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, dragging the net full of fish. And so when they got out upon the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153. I find it fascinating that scripture gives us the exact number of fish in the net, it says they were large. How large is a large fish? Two pounds? 300 pounds of fish? And so, I don't know, but 153, and they were large. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Get that scene in your mind for just a minute. They fished all night. They're discouraged. You know that they are famished. They're, they had no fish to cook before this encounter with Jesus. But I just love, love, love the King James translation here. It says, come and dine. Come and dine. They had failed. They get to the shore 
and Jesus says, come and dine. I love it. There's so many. I'm going to make a list sometime of how many times in Scripture Jesus says, come, come, come and dine. What's he saying? Come eat with me. Come fellowship with me. Come, let's have this meal together. Temptation is common to all of us. Temptation sometimes to flee, to just run away. Temptation maybe to get discouraged, to give up. Temptation to quit. So these people are a lot like us, aren't they? Or maybe I should say we're a lot like them. But what we see in this picture is that there is an opportunity for grace in every difficulty. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's offering them grace. Now, I want us to summarize some points here and to just think about several things. First thing that came to my mind was they were not where Jesus told them to be. Jesus had told them, you meet me on a specific mountain, but they're not there. They're on the lake in a boat. And so Jesus told them where to be and they weren't there. And what did Jesus do? He went to where they were. He knew where they were. He knew that they were going there before they knew they were going there because he's God. And so he met them, he knew, and he found them. He found them and he met them there. He went to them. Second thing is he invited them to something normal. He invited them to breakfast. Now, you would think that he could have said, hey, y'all, uh, check out this uh, resurrection body I got here. You know, see, see what I got? Let's go back through all that we've been through and what I've been teaching you and, you know, uh, and so forth. Uh-uh. No theological discussions. He just said, come have breakfast. And he served them. He served them. He provided what they needed. He provides what we need in the moment that we need it. And so he provided that here and he served them. Next thing is that when they obeyed, they were successful. When they obeyed, they were successful and they had personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Dining has to do with fellowship, doesn't it? When we sit down at a table with people, what do we do? We talk, we share, we chat. And so Jesus is inviting them, you know, just, just come here and eat with me. Sit down here, talk with me. It is important that we know and acknowledge our failure and confess it. That's clear here in this passage. We need to confess our failures to the Lord. We need to articulate it. We really need to get in a place where we can say it out loud to Him and just say, I messed up. And so it's kind of funny because when Jesus is standing here on the shore and they don't know it's Jesus, you know, usually He used an endearing term when He was calling out to these guys, calling out to, to these fellows because they were His spiritual family. They were His followers. And he, 
oftentimes you see him calling them dear ones or, or whatever. But, but what the literal translation tells us that he said was, guys, hey guys, you didn't catch anything, did you? And they were like, no. But what that allowed them to do was to confess their situation. They confessed their situation. They acknowledged it. They articulated it to him. They said, no, we didn't catch any fish. And so this is where our impatience and our doubts and our disobedience has led us. We failed. We thought we could do this. And here we are. We can't even do this. Everything we're touching, we're messing up. And so Jesus said, you don't have any fish? No. When the Lord puts work before us to do, he empowers us and provides for us to be obedient. Sometimes the Lord may tell us to do something. We'll think, I can't do that. I don't have this and this and that. I don't have this. But when the Lord tells you to do something, he's going to provide whatever you need in order to obey what he told you to do. He'll put anything in your path that you need to be obedient. Let's just think about it. Have you ever found yourself too busy to pray? Too busy to do Bible study? Too busy to invest in other people's lives? Too tired to use your spiritual gifts? Too distracted to be involved in building the kingdom of God? Too busy to obey the Lord. How many times have we looked at the Lord and said, I can't do that right now. I don't, I got to do this and this and this and this. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot when we do that, because what are we doing? We are assigning ourselves a path to failure because of our disobedience. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. Anything else you need will be added unto you. So what's he saying? Keep your focus, keep your perspective. If you don't obey, if I don't obey, it's a path to failure. And that's what happened to these guys. They thought they could do it. We can fish. So that self-will and that self-effort kicked in. And they failed again. The next thing I jotted down was move from self-effort to divine provision. Move from self-effort to divine provision. It probably didn't seem rational to them to cast their net on the other side of the boat. I'm intrigued that they did it because they had fished all night. They had caught nothing. They don't know who's on the shore telling them to cast their net on the other side, but they did it anyway. I'm intrigued with what happens in their minds. I, I, in my mind, I attribute it to the sovereignty of the Lord as they cast the net because they really didn't have a reason to do that, but, but they did, and, and they didn't even know it was Jesus telling them. But for whatever reason, they did it. When we obey the Lord, He empowers our success. Whenever we obey the Lord, he empowers our success. The Lord is the one who commands the fish. 
And the disciples are getting all of this. It's, it's coming to their minds. They're, it's, they're wrapping their minds and heart around it because all of this is such a learning process for them. And they're learning who Jesus is. They're learning who Jesus is going to continue to be to them even though he's resurrected. Because they didn't really know what their relationship with him was going to be like once he had arisen. So he's inviting them to all kinds of things. Now, the next thing I want you to notice is that Jesus said, uh, bring some of the fish that you've caught. Now, you'll notice when they walked up on the land, uh, verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish were already there and bread. But here they are, you know, was it that Jesus didn't have enough to go around? I doubt it. There's a spiritual principle going on here. And so Jesus has made breakfast, but he called them to participate with what they had as well. Here's fish and bread for you. You go get some of your fish, some of the fish that I've given you, and bring them to the table. So he called them to participate with what they had. This is how the Lord works. This is a great principle. It's a great picture. There are things he does and things we do. He has a role. We have a role. And so in Philippians, scripture tells us this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean earn your salvation. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is the Lord who works within you to will and to do his good pleasure. So the Lord works in us and we work out what God tells us to do in us, what he's teaching us. We work out the work of God. So we work together. So here's what he's done here. He says, I've done my part, your part. You bring some of your fish. And they did. And that's when they had to drag. Peter went to drag that three, four hundred pound net full of fish to the occasion. What was Jesus relationship to the disciples after the resurrection? He was there to provide. He would meet their needs. He would care for them. He would know where they were. Listen to me. The same thing is true for you if you're a believer. He's got that same relationship with you. He made bread and fish and he gave it to them. He served them. The master of the universe became their servant, their waiter. Listen to me. He is there to do the same for you. He's there to serve you to provide your needs. He understands. And one of the thrilling things about all of this to me, watch Jesus through these days. He goes on and on as he keeps on drawing them to himself. He keeps on telling them what to do. He keeps on meeting their needs. He keeps on, he never went to them and say, I'm tired of y'all, I'm done with this. Y'all just hadn't got it yet, I'm finished. No, Jesus never does that. He keeps supplying. He keeps providing. He keeps leading. He keeps telling. He keeps teaching. What a breakfast. Breakfast on the beach with Jesus. Wow. He prepared it. 
He fed them. And when breakfast was over, there was quite a conversation. And that's what we'll talk about next time. God bless you until then.